This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Well, good morning. My name's Cameron. I'm the youth pastor here. If you haven't gotten the chance to meet me, uh, Pastor Chris is out of town, uh, probably watching this morning. So hi, Chris. Uh, but uh, I get the chance to share with you this morning. I wanted briefly, Amy mentioned, just to share with you a little bit, a little bit about what God did at our youth camp at, at Egan last week. Uh, we had an incredible week. Uh, going into the week, uh, Laura and I and Riley, all both or all three of us got sick. And so um, I was kind of wondering what the week was going to be like, and it was just one of those things where you couldn't help but think, you know, as we were praying and preparing, that uh, God had some big plans in store for camp, and as a result, the enemy was trying to stop that, but uh, unsuccessfully, God came through as He always does, and we had a tremendous week. Uh, Many, many things that are so incredible, but just a couple that I wanted to share. Uh, So as a youth pastor... I was so, so proud of all the students and the way they pursued God during the week. And as parents, you should also be very proud. Uh, We had uh, a couple of services in particular that were really incredible. Um, One night, we just gave gave time for students to pray and to spend some time seeking God in the altars at the conclusion of service. And uh, I remember, you know, glancing at the time a few times, and uh, it was nearly an hour that everybody there was just praying and seeking God together. And everybody just kind of got caught up in the presence of God. God did some really amazing things. Uh, And then, uh, so the next night, um, we had another service that we finished, and we had kind of made plans because it's youth camp and we do a lot of fun things. We had made plans after service to go grab everybody and do a kind of an all-camp game of capture the flag and this big fun deal. And when we finished service, I had students and leaders that were both coming up to me and saying, hey, can we put that off? We just want to worship God some more. It's like, all right, praise the Lord. This is great. God is doing some wonderful things. So uh, you should be very proud of all the students who sought God, and God showed up in a big way. We had some students that were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We had some students who had some chains that were broken, some freedom brought to their life. So thank you so much for praying for us, for giving, to be able to provide scholarships for some of our students and those who volunteered to be there as well. Uh, Camp is such a special time. And it's for a whole lot more than just the mud pit and the time hanging out in the dorms until one, two, three o'clock in the morning sometimes. Uh, but camp is a place where we, we are able to kind of disconnect from a lot of the things that get in the way of us connecting with God. And that happened this last week at youth camp. And so thank you so much for your prayers God is doing some amazing things. If you see a teenager, ask them if they were at camp. If they were, ask them to share some stories because it was really, really a powerful time. You know, I've had a number of, uh, of powerful experiences myself at youth camp over the years. I was kind of thinking about this um, in relation sort of to this message, just the, just the idea of how many different camps I've actually been to. Uh, I've been a youth pastor now since 2009. Before that, I served as a youth leader and helped with some different camps. And before that, I was, I was a teenager. So it's been years and years and years that I've been, been doing these different camps. And so in, in the context of all these camps, um, certain ones stand out. But I think all the way back, all the way back to when I was a student and the first time that I really experienced God move in a powerful way at a youth camp. When I came to the altar and, and experienced what some of the students experienced this week, God moving in an incredible way, and I remember the feeling that came with that. But at that first camp, there was also, uh, in addition to that experience, the speaker made it a point, went out of his way to kind of explain to us on the last day before we left. He said, I, 
I know that it's great that you're at the altar and that you're worshiping God and you're jumping and dancing and praising the Lord, but he said, I don't care how high you jump if you don't walk different when you come down. And that's kind of where we're going with this message this morning, that we really need to experience the power and presence of God in our lives. But when we do so, when God's love comes and takes root inside of us, it changes the way that we live. We saw that last week uh, as we've been going through 1 John. This is one of the things that comes to light, but we talked about how when you walk in the light, when Jesus changes you, you can't continue in sin. One of the other things that John wants us to see, and the thing we're going to look at this morning, is that as we are transformed by God's love, then that comes out in the way that we love those around us. And John says that if there's no evidence of transformation, then we're living a lie. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 11 this morning in just a moment, but uh, just a, a reminder as we dig through this passage and as we, as we read and as we talk about our love for others and what that should look like, I just want to, to, to remind us all this morning that all of this comes from God's love poured out into our hearts. Jesus comes to transform us from the inside out. And so as his love takes root within us, that is the catalyst that changes the way that we live. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 11 this morning. It says, From the beginning you were told that we must love each other. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the devil and murdered his own brother. Why did he murder him? He did it because his brother was good and he was evil. My friends, don't be surprised that the people of this world hate you. Our love for each other proves that we have gone from death to life. But if you don't love each other, you are still under the power of death. If you hate each other, you are murderers. And we know that murderers do not have eternal life. So the first thing that John is helping us to see here is that our outward actions are revealing our inward nature. And he uses the example of Cain as a way of making it crystal clear right from the beginning, this difference between light and darkness, between love and hate. He goes right to the example of somebody who murdered somebody else so that we can clearly see that there is, there is, there is a difference. You either love others or you hate others. John likes to, likes to put things in black and white terms. And just like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what he does is he draws this sort of a straight line between hate and murder. He says, yeah, you, we know that murderers don't have eternal life, but if you show hatred, then you're a murderer. And why is that? Because every evil action, every sin, whether great or small, all of those things come from the overflow of a heart that is void and empty of God's love. If we're going to put it simply, darkness is just the absence of light, right? If you're in a dark room, that means there is no light that's there. And in the absence of God's love, every kind of sinful action is going to be the natural overflow of what's inside of our evil hearts. And that's why John says it shouldn't surprise us when we see that the world hates us. How can we expect those who've not been transformed by God's love to treat us the way that we seem to think is normal to treat other people if we've been transformed by his love? John's point here, he's not trying to make a point that if you've murdered somebody, you can never get into heaven. That's not really where he's going with this, but instead he's trying to show us that our outward actions, what we're doing, the way we're treating other people, that's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. And a heart that's been transformed by God's love will not produce murderous actions. What we do is the evidence of what's going on inside of us. 
John's showing us that what we do gives us a window into our hearts. And here he's echoing Jesus' teaching that a tree is known by its fruit. Jesus was a master at giving simple illustrations that help people to clearly understand spiritual truths. And he gave the idea of a tree and its fruit. And he said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Luke 6, he says, you can tell what a tree is, what it's like by the fruit it produces. Because you can't pick figs or grapes from thorn bushes. Has anybody here ever gone to a thorn bush and picked live fruit? Probably not. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. In other words, you can tell what kind of a tree it is by the fruit it produces. And John says that you can tell those who are in the light, those who have been transformed by God's love because of the way that they love others. And it's a direct cause and effect. But it also doesn't work backwards. You can't flip this around the other way. You can't just produce whatever fruit you want and then call it the tree that you want it to be. The tree always comes first. And so in the same way, our love for others is not in any way a prerequisite for us to receive God's love, but it is a very real and true sign that we have received God's love and been transformed by it. And so what we do matters, but it doesn't matter in the sense that it brings us to God, but it matters in the sense that it reveals to us that we are, in fact, transformed by his love, that we've received it into our hearts. It's not to say that those who are, are, are not Christians, those who walk in darkness, it's not to say that they can't do good things. John isn't saying, and I'm not suggesting this morning, that if you're not a Christian, you're incapable of doing kind things for others, but rather that the fruit of a person's life, the overall picture of the actions and the way they treat each other, love that is demonstrated in the way that God demonstrated for us is found in those who've been transformed by his love, but not by those who haven't. In the long run, you really can't fake it. This, that's, that's the thing that comes through loud and clear. You can't sort of make up or, or pretend to have this genuine love for others. In fact, John tells us that we wouldn't even really know what love was if it weren't for Jesus revealing it to us. Jesus is the one who shows us what love is. In verse 16, it says, we know what love is because, it's an important word, it's again, direct cause and effect. We know what love is because Jesus gave his life for us. He showed us what God's love really looks like. That's why we must give our lives for each other. So Jesus shows us what love is. Imagine for a moment that you were speaking to somebody who had never in their entire life seen anything. They'd been blind from birth. You know, some people who are blind have varying levels of ability to see shades of light. But imagine for a moment somebody who had never even seen even a little bit of light. How would you explain to them what light was? It's a difficult concept, isn't it? Until you've seen it, it's really hard to explain what that even is like. Or in the same way, somebody who had never seen colors before, how would you explain to them what the color red is like? Now, yeah, there, there's maybe some things that you could come up with to try to sort of frame it in a way that might make sense, but the reality is you can't fully explain what it is the same way that somebody seeing it can understand it because they've experienced it. Before Jesus came, before we understood that he gave his life for us, we didn't have any frame of reference to understand what God's love was like. Sure, we understood human love. We understood feelings for others. We understood what it was like to like somebody, to have friends. But God's perfect love 
In the absence of his light, there's only darkness. And without us experiencing that love, we can't give it. We can't give light if we've never seen light. When John says that we know what love is, what he's, using, he's using a word that talks about an experiential kind of knowing. Knowing something on the level that you know it, you've experienced it, and you have understood it personally. In other words, John's saying that we love, or when we love others, we only know what that is because we have experienced it, we have received it, we have understood it in our hearts. We have grasped what Jesus has done for us. And that's how transformation happens. Not just from hearing about it, not just from reading, hey, Jesus loves you. But we've understood it personally. We understood that Jesus didn't just give his life for the world, but he gave his life for me that I was lost, and he found me. And when we understand that love and it becomes internalized, that's what leads to the transformation that leads to us loving others the way he's loved us. Jesus chose to give his life for us, and he showed us what love looks like through that. He showed us that love is voluntary. Jesus chose He made the decision to give his life for us. No one took it from him. Jesus himself says this. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. No one made him do it. He chose to do it. And if we are going to love others as Jesus loved us, then it has to be by our choice. If I drive down the street and knock over somebody's mailbox, and then I go to them later and I pay to replace that mailbox, that's not love. That's me giving them what I already owe them. But love is my choice to go to them, to meet their needs, to give freely, expecting nothing in return. Jesus said, freely you have received, so freely give. Jesus' love is life-giving for us. He gave his life so that we could have life. And his sacrifice was for our benefit. Some people kind of confuse the self-sacrificial nature of love because they think it means that they need to be a doormat for everyone around them. They think that love means that they need to give themselves to whatever other people want, because that's what Jesus would do. But self-sacrifice is not love when it enables others to be destructive in their choices. A woman who's being abused by her husband is not showing love when she enables him to continue to beat her, because sacrifice, in that case, is not leading to life. It's not leading to her benefit. It's not leading to good things. Jesus' love for us is sacrificial, but it leads to life. And when we love others, it should show that. And Jesus' love is true. It's genuine. Genuine love doesn't have to hide its actions or be deceptive. There's no ulterior motive. We give freely because Jesus gave freely to us. We love because we have been loved. Because Jesus did so for us, we do it for others. There's no other ulterior motive. There's no intention that because of what we do, we're going to earn a pass into heaven. Because of what we do, we're going to get some sort of great reward from the Lord. We're going to be blessed. No, we give and we love because that's what we do, because Jesus did that for us. His love for us is how we know what love is, and it's what motivates us to love others. When we understand his love inside of us and it takes root in our hearts, That's when we learn to give that kind of same love to others around us. It's like a torch that Jesus comes and and he lights it within our our hearts. Before his love for us, we live in darkness, but when we receive him, now we have light. And because he has given that to us, now we have light that we can give to somebody else. 
Verse 17, John goes on. He gives an example of what this looks like. Because we can't really say that we love others if you can't see that love demonstrated in tangible ways. It says, if we have all we need and we see one of our own people in need, we must have pity on that person. Or else we cannot say that we love God. Children, you show love for others by truly helping them and not merely by talking about it. Because true love expresses itself through action. Agape love, this is the, it's the Greek word for God's love. Agape love, his unconditional love for us. It can be very, very simply understood. This is the way that I explain it sometimes with students. I understand it this way, that God's love for us can be simply expressed as understanding and seeing the need of someone else and meeting it fully. Somebody else has a need, I see that need, and I'm going to meet that need. Those are physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. And when we see the needs of others and we don't meet those needs, we can say all day long that we love them, but by definition, we have not fulfilled God's definition of love for us. Love can't be understood apart from action. When Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he made it very clear that to love your neighbor is not the same as to simply tolerate your neighbor. The man who was beaten and robbed on the side of the road was laying there and two people passed by him and and just didn't do anything. And they could say all they wanted that they loved God's people. They could say all they wanted that they cared about this man, but Jesus made it clear. In fact, it was the point of the story that to love is to stop and to do something. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He took care of the man. He took care of his wounds. He paid for his medical expenses. And in doing something, he showed that he loved the man. Love can't be understood apart from action. You know, there's so many ways that we love others as a church, and it's one of the reasons I love to be a part of Christian Chapel. I love that I can tell people that we have programs like Royal Family Kids, that we see the need of foster kids who need love, who need mentors, and we come and we meet that need to the best of our ability. People who give financially, who volunteer their time, who come up with great ideas to minister to these kids. We see programs like like CPO where we have the opportunity to see the needs of women who are in crisis situations and to meet those needs to the best of our ability. We see the need through missions when we go on these short-term missions trips and we share the gospel with people. When we give to missionaries who are able to give their lives sharing about Jesus, these are practical ways that we demonstrate our love for other people. We just got back from camp. Another place where we see the need, we see young people, kids and teenagers who need, to, who need to draw closer to God, who need to be able to get rid of things in their life that are holding them back. People who, who, are, who are in many ways uh, tied to their culture in that they, they struggle sometimes to have those moments where they experience God because we're always in a rush. And those moments are powerful, but they come because somebody says, I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to donate. I'm going to choose to work with teenagers. I'm going to choose to work with kids. And they make those things happen. We have so many wonderful people in this church who who love others in practical ways. But here's what we need to be very, very careful about. That loving other people never becomes a box to be checked. Loving other people should never be something that becomes for us, well, I need to do this because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And sometimes we do need to make that choice when it's difficult. Sometimes we need to do the right thing, even though we don't feel like it. But we never want our love for other people to become simply uh, a way that we are fulfilling volunteer hours. 
God wants love to be the standard for our day-to-day actions, loving others in our daily life. That's a sign that we're living in the light, that we've been transformed by God's love. So we have to think about how are we meeting the needs of others around us in our daily lives. If you're a parent, you may need to meet the needs of your families, and not just by putting food on the table, but, but maybe by talking to your family members about their life. Talk to your kids about what's going on in their life. Look, and I get it. I know sometimes it's painful to try to talk to teenagers. Sometimes they just don't want to share. Now, everybody's not the same, but it's worth the time. I know sometimes it can be difficult being a parent, but it's worth the effort. That's love. That's love on a daily basis. Meeting needs. Spouses, do you meet the needs of your husband or your wife? Taking the time to notice what they need and to actively and self-sacrificially make their life better. If you're an employee, meeting the needs of the people that you work with, people who are struggling in their job, maybe people who feel undervalued, underappreciated, those are real tangible needs that we can meet, and it's a sign that we love others the way Jesus loved us. Each of us has so many ways that we can love other people. We can pray for the needs of others. We can visit those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are lonely. We can help people financially. We can encourage them with notes and cards and kind words. There's so many ways that we can love others. So much that we can do. The solution to loving more, though, isn't just to try harder. I hope that you're hearing that this morning, that yes, we should be trying to love others, but the solution isn't just to try harder. But in order to love others more, we need to be filled with God's love in our own life. We need his love to penetrate our hearts so that we understand what he's done for us and it transforms us. And through that, we'll see that evidence of loving others on a daily basis. Like I said, you know, sometimes you just have to make that conscious effort. Sometimes you don't feel it, and I get that. Love is so much deeper and so much greater than liking somebody because we have to go beyond how we feel or what seems to make sense. There are moments when love means meeting a need, but you know that it's not going to be pleasant and it's not going to be appreciated. Love means that you're going to help other people who may never even know what you did. Love means praying for people who may not care or even want your prayers. Sometimes we just have to make the conscious choice to do it. And sometimes the willingness and the motivation to do what's right can be nourished by the action of actually just doing it. Sometimes we just have to say, I'm going to love somebody through what I do today. And we love someone that can be deep, it can be transformative to their life because that's what Jesus did for us. He knew all of our sins. He knew our faults. He, know, he knows our selfish hearts. He knows who we are, what we've done, what we're doing, and what we will always do. He knows every part of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he came knowing who we are and chose to give his life for us. He loved us enough to do what we needed, even though he knew that we didn't deserve it. And some of us will never even thank him for that or really receive it. But he chose to give anyway because he knew that's what we needed. And one of the most amazing things about self-sacrificial love is that as we love others, it comes with it. This, there's this added benefit that we become closer to the God who is love. The last verses here of John, 1 John chapter 3 tell us that when we love others, we know that we belong to the truth. And because of that, we feel at ease in the presence of God. But even if we don't feel at ease, God is greater than our feelings, And he knows everything. How many of you are glad that God is greater than our feelings? 
Dear friends, if we feel at ease in the presence of God, we will have the courage to come near him. And he will give us whatever we ask because we obey him and we do what pleases him. God wants us to have faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and to love each other. And this is also what Jesus taught us to do. If we obey God's commandments, we will stay one in our hearts with him and he will stay one with us. The spirit that he has given us is proof that we are one with him. When we know that we've been transformed by God's love, it brings us closer to him. You know, one of the biggest issues that I see with, with young people, and I think it's a big problem for a lot of Christians in general, is that, is that a lot of times we feel like we're not able to connect with God on an intimate level. And it can be because of feelings of guilt, inadequacy, sometimes over fears, over whether we're even really saved. Those are real things that sometimes people face. And in this chapter, what John is doing, he's giving us some real and tangible ways to address those fears and to say, look, is the evidence there that we belong to the light? In the beginning of this chapter last week, we talked about how, how the way we live, it's a sign of where our hearts are. Hearts that have been transformed by God's live don't continue to live in, in habitual sin. And so here, John makes it clear that when you love others, and that's expressed in practical ways, that's evidence that should encourage your heart that you have experienced God's love and you're walking in the light. But then John also reminds us that there's that part of us that even though sometimes we, we think so, but we're just not really sure, hey, God's greater than your feelings. He's greater than that. God's grace steps in and fills that gap to where we feel like, I just don't know. God says, hey, come to me. You think you have sin? Just confess it. I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to be close to you. God is greater than our feelings, and we can draw close to him. And we can do so encouraged, especially when we see, as we look at our lives, that we're loving others the way that he loved us. God's greater than our feelings. You know, when we come to God, he wants us to come to him the way that a child comes to their father. That's why we call him father. My daughter, Riley, hasn't hit the age of really talking and expressing herself through words yet. But those of you who are parents of children who are older and some of them even out of the house, you, you understand that children sometimes can be absolutely shameless. You ever had a child ask you for something right after they did something and you just wanted to say like, what is wrong with you right now? But they come to you again and again, no matter how many times you say no, they keep coming back. I need money for this. I need you to sign this slip. Can I please do this? And you know what? That's what God wants us to be like with him. When we come to him, we should come the way that a child comes to a father, confident that we're not going to be abandoned. We're not going to be set aside because we're asking too much, because we're badgering. But we come to him knowing that there is that relationship, that he loves us, and we come confidently. That's how he wants us to be in our presence. The idea here is, is some balance. We know that we belong to God by our love that's expressed for others in practical ways, and that should encourage us. It should encourage us. We also know that we belong to God by the Spirit's confirmation in our hearts. John's not beating around the bush. He says, here's a practical way that you can know that you are walking in the truth. And at the same time, don't discount the Spirit simply speaking to your heart in a still small voice and giving you the encouragement that you belong to Him. We can't just isolate ourselves on one side or the other. We can't just say, well, God spoke to me, but there's no evidence in my life that, I, that, I, that I'm doing the right things. 
And at the same time, when we're doing the right things, we should also be receiving from God that confirmation as we draw near to him, as we enter his presence of the spirit speaking to us and encouraging us, yes, you belong to me, come near. We need to have relationship. But we can also be encouraged by the evidence of what's happening in our lives. So what does all this mean for us? The worship team's gonna come back. In a few moments, we're gonna sing. We're gonna, we're gonna receive communion together. But as we do so, there's a few things I think we should think about, some application ideas. Number one, love has to be put into action. Love is demonstrated in practical ways. And so if it's only a concept or a feeling, it's not the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us. God's love is practical. It means it makes a difference and it meets our needs, both small and large. Secondly, we need to honestly evaluate the evidence of love in our lives. In John's time, false teachers were a huge problem. And John wanted to remind people that those who don't love others in practical ways, they're not walking in the truth and you shouldn't trust them. I think it's also important for us to look inward at our own hearts and to be, to be honest with ourselves. Do we love others daily in practical ways? Because the degree to which we are loving others should suggest to us the degree to which we have received God's love and been transformed by it. And so if we find that we're lacking in loving others, we need to be transformed by God's love in a deeper way. The solution to loving more is to become more deeply immersed in the God who defines love and who showed us what it looks like through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. When we understand God's love for us, then it begins to resonate in our soul. It takes root and it provides us not just with the knowledge, but the motivation to love others as we should. And Paul encourages us in Philippians that it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we don't love others always as we should. And so the solution is to come to him, the God of love, and let him fill our hearts with his love. If we find that we do love others, then that should encourage us to be confident in God's presence. John says that when we see this evidence in our lives of God's transforming power within us, that we can be, and I love the translation that I use this morning, the contemporary English version, it says to be at ease in God's presence. It says when you come to God, you should enjoy it, you should be comfortable, you should be able to confidently approach him in prayer and to believe and know that he hears your prayers and he wants to be close to you. As the worship team plays, we're gonna receive communion in just a moment. Uh, the ushers will come and pass the elements. And as communion is passed, it's for us, it's a reminder of God's love for us that is expressed through the sacrifice of Jesus. The bread and the cup represent the blood and the body of Jesus that were given for us. He laid down his life for us, a practical act that demonstrated God's love for us and it met our greatest need for a savior. So as the ushers pass the elements and the worship team begins to sing, I would invite you to just take a few moments to allow the truth of God's love to sink deeply into your heart. And to begin to just think about, to meditate on what Jesus has done for you and to allow that love to sink in. The ushers will come forward, they'll serve the elements, the worship team will sing and in just a few moments we'll take together. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.